You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is William Gallagher. Hello. The ever-reliable, the ever-happy William Gallagher. Ah, that sounds nice. I'll take that. I was called unacceptable earlier today by a producer, but that's another story. Hi. You should be happy. It was a a searing, dramatic comment about my searing political drama, so I was not in any way unhappy, but there you go. You just put it back into my head. It sounds searing. It was. It was. Yes. Well, I, I, so, want to, I want to tell you, there's a lot of negativity available, right? There's negativity everywhere from the rejection that you experienced, from the, the verbal abuse that I receive, sometimes for doing this podcast, sometimes for other things. Um, there's, there's tons of negativity around. And th- I want to remind you and, and, and of course, our, our friends out there listening as well, that there are a lot of things to be positive about, and we're going to talk about some of them. Oh, okay. I could do with that. Let's have some of that then. Yes. Yeah. What have you got? Well, first of all, if you like the iPhone and you like Apple and you want to see them be profitable, then perhaps you can draw some pleasure from this. Apple is seeing double-digit iPhone sales growth in China. Yes. Now, this is meaningful because, of course, China is one of the most populous countries on the planet. And so double-digit sales percentages in China mean quite a large number of people. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, it does. Right? I actually hesitated when you said this because uh, whenever somebody posts a percentage growth, yeah. uh, I'm suspicious until I see the figures, but you're right. Any percentage of that of China has got to be huge. Cool. Right. Per- per- percentage of, you know, um, Tring, England, is, is not helpful to anyone, right? Unless, of course, you're a shop on the high street of Tring. But percentage of China is potentially meaningful, especially when we're talking double-digit growth. Now, yes, percentages, you know, double-digit growth just means you you uh, grew more than you did last year. It's but, but let's look at some actual numbers here, like you say. So year-on-year, iPhone sales grew 18.7%. Yes. At the same time, the overall Chinese market for smartphones declined by 13.7%. So in a year of double-digit decline, the iPhone grew in double digits. I'd still love to know actual numbers, but yes, uh, that is impressive. Particularly since this time last year, uh, things were declining. So Apple's done done well. I don't quite know how how well yet, but still, well is good. There we go. That's analysis for you. Well is good. Well is good. But in a year of decline, especially, that is positive news. Now, we don't have precise data, but what we do know is that there's there's the China Academy of Information and Communication Technology, which says that there were 389 million cell phone shipments in China during 2019. Gosh, that's amazingly high numbers. But okay, hard to conceive what numbers are this big, but yes. And that you know this this oh, is, actually, this, this is really quite good. We should give credit here to uh, Bloomberg, who've got those figures, but also they have some other unreported Android device shipment data, and they put it together to come up with this 18.7. Yeah. So, so Bloomberg has reported this, and, and they're getting these figures from the Chinese China Academy. Yes. And now some of those, the, that data seems to include about 13 million 5G-capable iPhones. Now, obviously, Apple doesn't sell one of those at this time, 
So Bloomberg works backwards through these numbers to arrive at this double-digit growth. Mm. I, actually, I looked at the data and it was very complicated. I was glad somebody with a better maths brain than I did worked it out. Uh, but I think that issue about 5 I was surprised it was 13 million 5G. I mean, I don't know which handsets they were, but it's interesting that Apple's doing so well despite not having 5G when others clearly do. So 5G is early days, right? 5G requires that you have the capable handset, that you also have capable antennas from the carriers so that it can actually talk at 5G. And we're, we're being a little bit oversimplified here because 5G means more than just, well, 5G. There are actually three different variants, and you use them in different locations depending upon the, uh, the, the context with which you're installing the tower. You know, there's 5G that's best for dense urban areas. There's 5G that is more high speed for for wider range open areas. So you have to use the appropriate one in its, in its right application. So just 5G itself. First of all, not so many towers. Second of all, three different variants. There's there's a lot to go in there. Hand on heart, I don't think I only think of two variants. Where I didn't realize the three. It's even worse than I thought. Yep, three. Yeah. Sorry. I'm going to skip 5G. I'll just wait till 6G comes along. Well, you know, what you could do is if, first of all, we've talked about this in past and rumors that the first iPhone 5G phone is probably going to be maybe this 2020 phone and it'll come with Qualcomm chipset. And we'll get a couple of years of that perhaps. And then around 2023, maybe we'll have one that's using Apple's own chipset because Apple picked up the technology from Intel. Yeah, I know that date is varying. So I remember the first guess was 2025 and then 2023, and then there are other things that it could be even sooner. But uh, Right, yes, but, but the, the idea is that you could pick up a second-year Qualcomm 5G, right, a 2021-2022 phone, and be yeah. quite happy with it because at that time there will be enough towers around and things will have been sorted out a little bit. And That's what you mean, yes. There, there, so you and I, we buy the very first of new everything, right? <laughs> Yes, as long as they're in blue, yes. Yes. We got one of everything, please. Apple's product line, the whole deal, right away. And and we do. Plus spares. Plus spares, fair. absolutely. Yeah. 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 And House is full of Mac Pros at the moment. Don't know what to do with them. Yeah. They're, they're keeping you warm in this winter season. Using two to balance <laughs> a coffee table. But the, the thing of it is, is that there are some advantages to waiting for the second year of technology. That's true. Yes, good point. It tends to be a little more refined. It tends to be a little bit wider distributed, and the supporting technology is also more widely distributed. And so, you know, this isn't to say that people shouldn't buy the first year of something. It's to say that that there are advantages sometimes to buying the second year when it's had a chance to, to really find its legs. And, you know, I would tell you that you, William, personally could comfortably buy a second year 5G phone and then buy the one with Apple's chipset when it comes or even the second year of Apple's chipset when it comes kind of thing. And that you'd be safer doing so just in terms of having everything worked out. Yes. Yes. Safer, yes. More comfortable. You're spending my money comfortably, but I agree on the safety part. I'm doing very yes. well at spending your money, and we should be optimistic and happy about that. That's true. It's a show I, about happiness. <laughs> I love my iPhone 11 Pro, but I want to buy another one of something else, here, it's 11, 12, whatever it's called, in September, you're right. And be happy about it, William. Okay. Yeah. Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet, is an Apple TV Plus exclusive show. It is Apple TV Plus's first comedy series. 
and Rob McElhenney talks about how it is to work with Apple. So he's he's the the star, former star of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he's also producing this show. And he said that Apple's strategy is really similar to the way that FX handled things, and that it provides notes and pushback when it disagrees with aspects of the show. But in the end, the decision always falls to him and the showrunners. I, I, I might be very, very stupid here, but I truly believed that Mythic Quest Ravens Banquet was a game. I did not realize. It was well, it sounds TV like it, doesn't show. it? But that's probably why it was so named. Well, that makes sense. Okay. But I'm actually vastly more interested now because uh, I'm not particularly a gamer. But now, suddenly, okay, I'm intrigued. It's a show. I've been hearing from other producers uh, that are less keen on Apple TV Plus and how Apple's doing it. But uh, he sounds like he's given a lot of details. Yeah. So the, the show is a combination of humor, smart social commentary, characters, and, and a little bit of heart, too. And so it's, it's that kind of show that makes it a good fit for Apple TV Plus. And, of course, obviously it has yet to debut, but um, he, he's talking really positively about how how it is to get notes from Apple and work with Apple and just how respected he feels there. Do we know when it's going to air? February 7th. Oh, cool. So quite soon. Right. Yeah. And it's got a great cast, too. It's, it's well, so it's McElhenney and also Charlie Day, who also worked on It's Always Sunny. It's got F. Marie Abraham. Okay, wow, all right. You didn't um, expect me to pull that name out, did you? I can't say I did. No, okay. <laughs> Salieri from Amadeus. Yes, and uh, millions of other things, but that, well, that yes, is the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> such a performance, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you name a newer role that he might have had? Because, I mean, that's going back quite a ways. I believe he's in Mythic Quest. There you go. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Danny Pudi, who was in Community. Oh, good grief, yes. Okay. Great. Imani oh, I'm Akeem. watching this now. Yeah. Definitely. Charlotte Nickdow, uh, David Hornsby, Ashley Birch, and Jesse Ennis. So it, it the series dives into challenges of running a successful video game studio, which there's your video game tie-in. Oh. oh, okay. I know you don't care so much about the video game part of it, but but of course, comedic and, and other elements like that should really draw you in. Yeah, well, we've, I, I love Sports Night, Aaron Sorkin's behind the scenes of a sports uh, cable show, and I have zero interest in sports either. So, yes, uh, this will not put me off. I will be tuning in. Did you ever watch Halt and Catch Fire? I saw the first episode. Um, I don't know how it was available in the UK, but one episode dropped somewhere, and I, I thought it was really good. Did you see the whole Yeah, no, I, I did, and it was, um, it was not so comedic as this show intends to be. But it was it was almost documentary for me. <laughs> you know, I've, I think I've, I read the script as well. Uh, read very well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, another show that I quite liked a lot. Cool. I think this Mythic Quest may be. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be an easy one to sort of draw comparisons and contrasts with Silicon Valley, which is ending as a show. I've not seen that one. I, I know of it, but uh, if it airs here, I haven't caught it. Do you recommend it? You've got all these things to look forward to. You can still watch them. I'm still waiting for Little Voice to appear on Apple TV. Mm. But it will come. It will. It will. Now, I'm going to talk about privacy in a moment here. But first, I want to talk a little bit about ExpressVPN. We, we all know that a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this, this may solve actually all of your problems. One of the things that 
the VP can can do is it can it can help you take your TV watching game to the next level because you can use the VPN to unlock movies and shows that are region locked to other countries. Yeah. So you could use the ExpressVPN and you could watch Halt and Catch Fire and you could watch Silicon Valley. Right. Oh, okay. That sounds, uh, well, it sounds good to me and bad for the TV companies. For, for years, we were unlocking DVDs and unlocking uh, Blu-rays so that we could re- view region-locked material. And they, they were still getting paid for the disc, but it was important to be able to see them in, in places where they had yet to release or, or wanted to time their releases. And you yeah. know, if you owned the disc, you ought to be able to view it. In the streaming age, it's a little different and it's, it's somewhat problematic. But if you're using a service that you're paying for, you ought to be able to view it in whatever country you're in. Oh, uh, no, I agree with that completely. If I'm an American Netflix subscriber, but I happen to be out of the States, why should I be unable to watch what I'm already paying for? Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's entirely possible to use ExpressVPN to view shows that are region-locked to other countries because ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. So you can choose from over 100 different countries and, and just think about all the Netflix libraries that you could go to. You know, you could use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and watch Spirited Away. But it's not just Netflix. It also works with any streaming service like Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. There's no buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD in no problem. And it's compatible with all of your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, more. So you watch what you want to on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. And if you visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So you support the show, you watch what you want, and you can protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. What do you think of that, William? Everybody wins. It's a good day when everybody wins. Well, except, uh, hang on, VPN protects privacy. There's going to be people who are against your privacy, like uh, criminals and people like that, who who wouldn't be happy with it. So almost everybody wins. And, and, that's and good. yeah, I mean, I, I understand you and I appreciate your your empathy for the criminals and, and uh, privacy hey, it's violators. it's part of the economy. You know, <laughs> these people have to live. I can't, I'm not serious about that. Do you know what I mean? Send, send your recommendations for Android phones and Facebook advertisers that William should watch intently uh, to William at AppleInsider.com. Well, send him ring doorbells. Send him, um, gosh, what else has been re- widely reputed for violating privacy this year? Well, I'll tell you what, while you're doing this, let me point out that as a result of hearing you and I talking about Masterclass, uh, a friend actually bought me uh, a year's subscription as a Christmas present. Mark Knighton is a listener. He bought me of it. Uh, and I spent the whole of Christmas watching all of Jodie Foster's things. It's, uh, yeah. So, yes, yeah, send me things. That's very, very nice of people. <laughs> Fantastic. And I, I, thank you. That was That was very generous. Thank you for doing that. Gorgeous, yes. And Jodie Foster is every bit. I'd seen clips, but I've now watched about her three hours of the thing, and I could listen to her forever. Are you doing the assignments? Doing the homework? Yes, actually, I am. And I'm planning a short film for later this year where I will... uh, It was specifically about directing as well as working with writers. I'll be putting into practice uh, as best I can things she's said. That's brilliant. You have to share what you've learned. Okay. Well, uh, 
I can give you a three hours, 40 odd minute version of it in her voice. <laughs> no, no, no. But just it, it would be interesting to know what you took away from these kinds of things. Good point. Okay. Trying to decide who to learn from next. But there we go. There, there are so many to choose from. 77 or something or even higher than that. Yes. Yeah. But I want to talk about something that hasn't happened in forever. Apple has not appeared in an official capacity as a, as a presenter in any way at CES in about, what, 20 years or more? 30 years. It's been a long time. Hmm. Jane Horvath is Apple's Senior Director of Global Privacy. And she took part in a privacy-centric panel at CES on Tuesday, where she talked about the company's initiatives to protect customer data and defended its stance on hardware encryption. And their, their belief, yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the things that's come under fire. Um, so Apple has this belief. You would have the CES audience would be well up for how Apple does this, because the CES audience, we would hope, would understand backdoor encryptions and its other dangers, but still it was a hot-button issue. Well, let me, let, me, let me just tell you a little bit more about this, right? So Please. Apple has a history. You know, the FBI requested that Apple create backdoors in the iPhone in 2016. And there was even some legislation floated. A bill was written um, that didn't go anywhere, basically requiring companies to create backdoors. I think it was, uh, I'm going to, I might get this wrong, but it was Richard Burr for certain, and maybe he was doing it alongside Diane Feinstein. I can't remember. Um, not positive about that, but it was Richard Burr for sure who'd floated this legislation. It died quickly, but it was the, the idea that companies had to create backdoors to allow access. And Apple's argued against those. Because strong encryption is an effective method of ensuring that sensitive information stays private. And, you know, she said, our phones are relatively small and they get lost and stolen. If we're going to be able to rely on our health data and finance data on our devices, we need to make sure that if you misplace that device, you're not losing your sensitive data. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and furthermore, she answered it directly. Building backdoors into encryption is not the way we're going to solve these issues. Did she offer a solution to these issues, an alternative? Well, Apple complies and offers, Apple offers assistance to law enforcement agencies, and they have a team specifically to handle such requests. Um, but for the, the encrypted mechanism is designed to keep personal information safe from prying eyes. Once the device is locked, data stored cannot be accessed without successful entry of a predetermined passcode or password. Now, Apple can, with a proper warrant, go into the data that's stored off-site, like iCloud, but they're unable to break right. into an iPhone without writing custom software. That's the back door. And, and the reason why this is important is because it wasn't just something that happened once in 2016 was over. On Monday, yeah. the FBI sent a letter to Apple again asking for the help in extraction of data from two iPhones. And they said no. The FBI is figuring third time's the charm. I don't know. I, I think the FBI is hoping that as long as they can keep making this an issue, that the public will eventually side with the FBI. That has not happened. In, in 2016, the public sided with Apple on this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where 
uh, yeah, you keep asking until you get the answer you like. I think Apple did do a very good job of putting their position across because, I mean, gun attacks, deaths, these are uh, really volatile uh, topics and it's very easy uh, to get on the route of assuming anything that helps prevent them must therefore be good. Uh, whereas this thing of uh, the bigger picture, um, I think also, was there an issue at the time that there was some doubt that there was any information on the phones that were being used? But that, that's a separate thing. Still, Apple was standing up for the bigger picture and generally in heated times, the bigger picture doesn't get seen. So the, so the common complaint of, of people who defend the FBI's position here is that there should be no evidence that the law enforcement cannot have. That if you've got a warrant, then that information needs to be available no matter what. It's and that anything, yeah, I see that. And the counter to that is that, first of all, at least in America, the Constitution says that some information, you know, you know that, that information is not available unless you have a proper warrant. And secondly, that, you know, you can't be compelled to, to, to give up some information. That's part of the Fifth Amendment. You can't be compelled to testify against yourself. And and I have to be very careful because I can easily get into the, the bad legal takes domain because I am not an attorney. But the the other part of it is that, you know, just empirically, there's always been some data and some evidence that's not been available to law enforcement. You know, that's before the history of wiretapping. There were phone calls that weren't available. And even with wiretapping, you know, you couldn't just listen in on everyone's conversation from a public telephone. You had to define it that you were going after a certain person who was using that phone, and when it wasn't that person, you couldn't listen, right? So there, there mm. are things that, that there, there are boundaries around what evidence can be available and what evidence is acceptable to, to go after. And it is because of that, there's no reason that we shouldn't say, look, some evidence is not going to be available. And the notion is that putting a back door in here violates that. Now, if it's stored off-site, it's not on the user's phone, then yeah, absolutely. And, and Apple does that. They participate in that. But if it's locked with a user's passcode, then the user has to be able to be the one to surrender that. What's the situation with uh, when people die? I mean, uh, we've had cases where uh, gunmen were killed and therefore couldn't even be talked into giving up their passcodes and things. Um, does the estate, do the de, uh, uh, descendants of these people have the right... How would they even know? Ignore me. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you might be able to presume that they own the device through inheritance, but, um, you know, would they have the passcode and could they be compelled to give it up? No yeah. knowing. No telling. No. Plus, uh, at least a couple of times in these instances, uh, people have shot their iPhones in order to prevent these things. Uh, well, happening, and, they? you know, there's there's a number of different court cases where the decisions have been made both ways in the U.S. where, you know, a person can be compelled to give up their thumbprint in order to unlock a phone or the person can't be compelled to give up their thumbprint. In the U.S., I think the way it's settled so far is that you can't be compelled to give up a password. But in the UK, you right. can. So, it's th th this is an area that's still developing. 
Oh, I remember this coming up before because I remember telling you I worked with a, a group of sort of eight to 12 year olds on a project and one of them tapped me on the shoulder. And when I turned around, he had my iPhone in front of me. And so I instantly unlocked it just by looking at it. Uh, eight year olds should work for the FBI. No. OK, it was a thought. I, I mean, it, it doesn't really fit within the hiring requirements, but in some cases okay. they might be even more creative oh, and useful. Oh, it's 21 Jump Street all over again. Okay. You're, you're, you're yeah. going to write you're, you're going to write a pint-sized FBI story, aren't you? Uh, I wasn't, but it's crossing my mind now. Uh, I claim <laughs> all rights. Okay. Pint-sized FBI. That's even a good title. There okay. you go. But that's FBI. not but that's not what our listeners came here to listen to. No. No. They came no, here they to came listen to optimistic, so. positive things. And of course, okay. protecting privacy is positive, but that's a difficult topic. You know what's really going to make you happy? Um, I have no idea. Fire away. Faster data. Oh, yes. Yes. You've got me some faster data. Isn't that an easy win? Faster data. Yes. Yes. So Intel this... has confirmed that Thunderbolt 4 is on the way. Oh, okay. Right. Right. It's going to be supported by upcoming processors in their product line, and that the connection throughput is going to be absurd. It's it's going to be four times the throughput of USB three. Right. Which is no slouch itself, really, to be fair. No. Okay. I mean USB three point has a maximum theoretical speed of five gigabits per second. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Thunderbolt 2 is capable of 20 gigabits per second, and Thunderbolt 3 is double that at 40 gigabits per second. So, okay, okay. so saying four times five is 20, and that's what we could do that like two generations ago, is is not really interesting. It's, it's more probable more likely that Intel's referring to the USB 3.2 update, the, the Gen 2x2, which is capable of 20 gigs per second using two lanes. So if that's the case, if that's what Intel's talking about, then that puts Thunderbolt 4 as a throughput of around 80 gigabits per second. Oh, that's just rubbish. Uh, are they actually not being that clear about it? Is this a fairly vague Intel announcement then? Well, I mean, saying four times USB 3 sounds really good. Saying... Yeah. Four times USB 3.2 Gen 2 by 2 is a little rubbish as a marketing slogan. Yeah, but four times USB 3 divided by 2. I'd have taken that one. Well, I'm no. more concerned, actually, I've got to say, I have these 45 Mac Pros dotted around the house. Uh, are they now obsolete? Uh, they run Thunderbolt 3. Yeah, that old rubbish. Thing. But, yeah. but listen, they're not obsolete until Intel ships this stuff. And Intel has not shipped it. They've announced it. Okay. And Intel's very good at announcing things, isn't it? Well, so we don't know a couple of things, right? We don't know when exactly this is going to be available. We we expect specifications to be available ahead of the Tiger Lake processors, which are going to come sometime this year in 2020. But even then, it's not clear that Apple will adopt that as soon as it's available. True. You know, we, we don't know if Thunderbolt 4 is going to come before USB 4. Okay. 
Now I know I know you're shaking your head and saying USB four. What what what's USB four? We just got USB three on all of our laptops, right? Uh, USB four is 40 gigabits per second, power delivery of up to 100 watts, and backwards compatibility with earlier USB 3.0 standards, including Thunderbolt 3 connections. So it's it's USB 4.0 is going to use the same connector. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But it's going to be backwards compatible. So we, we expect that it would. Okay. So you think maybe adapters as well? I'm, I'm hopeful okay. not, because, it, you know, it says... USB 4 offers this 40 gigabits per second power delivery and backwards compatibility with earlier USB standards, including along with Thunderbolt 3 connections. So the signaling has to be the same and compatible. And, you know, that that connector was just ratified, is is just making its way onto laptops, really. And it's been there since, what, 2016? Shifting connectors again feels a little soon, don't you think? Yeah, okay. So I won't throw out my 60 Mac Pros just yet. Keep a the few blue more ones. Just came. I mean, if you will, keep the blue Good ones. Good point. Okay. Well, all right. Right. And the two under the coffee table. That's only sensible. Yeah. Well, yes. Now, we've talked a lot about iPhone SE 2. Yes. So. Are we going to talk about it more? On is leaks. there something more? Yeah, there is. So on leaks correctly predicted the iPhone 11's triple pro triple camera system, right? Mm-hmm. And they have made some renders, they've issued some renders of a 360-degree video showing what they think the iPhone SE 2 looks like. Okay. I thought we knew that. It'd be, it's going to well, we, like we knew how to eight. describe it. We hadn't really seen a render or a picture before now. Okay. And their render basically... Um, complies with what we already thought we knew. So is that confirmation or already know, or is it utilizing what we already know to make a nice picture? I'm not certain. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you that. But it, it mm-hmm. basically it has the screen and home button of an iPhone 8. It has a single camera on the back and a glass back so that it can do the wireless charging. It, it, it basically is um, a nice looking little phone. It, but But there's not a whole lot else to say about it does a single camera mean it doesn't have the bump no it has a bump yeah okay we've had a camera bump since iphone 6 the bump is not going away oh good point i've forgotten about that on this and the bump is certainly not going away on the iphone se2 you know if you were going to lose the bump you'd want to lose the bump on a flagship (laughs) phone like an iphone 12 or something yes okay get rid of the bump and the notch put it on yes this this can all happen well no fair point this doesn't have a notch at all that's true. Because it has a giant true. chin and a forehead like an iPhone 8. That's amazing how <laughs> old-fashioned that already sounds. And it's not that long ago since that was great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any more word on when this uh, mythical iPhone SE 2 will come out? First half of this year, 2020. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's two iPhone launches in the year. It is. Not the cool. first time that's ever happened, by the way. When was the last one? Do you remember? Um, one that sticks out in my... So there was the iPhone 5C that was a weird launch. And there was also the um, the the white 5S, or where, where they'd been struggling with making white phones for some time. And so oh, the yes. white version came late. 
Actually, didn't the iPhone SE come out uh, on a different date to all the other iPhones? I've got I this so. feeling I'm hearing on its own, but I can't. No, I no, that. I, mm, I think it did not. I think it came out at a regular October announcement. All right, I think. Well, we'll take new iPhones whenever they offer them. Yeah, exactly. Now, okay. and also talking about taking things, Samsung. Yes. <laughs> yes. They took something, didn't they? What did they take? No, they um, it, crack Samsung designers independently ended up with uh, an icon that uh, purely by chance is, has a passing uh, resemblance. It's like pixel perfect resemblance <laughs> to Apple <laughs> Apple's Face ID icon. Yes, yes. It it does look familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean these things happen, you know. <laughs> It's not like you can think that Samsung actually was aware of the Face ID icon. How could that happen? They all have Samsung phones. Of course they do. Okay. So we're looking at this. This was an image that Samsung put up in their um, in their keynote, right? And it's got an eye, and it's got this facial recognition icon that we're talking about. It's got a heart with a, a sort of pulse EKG line drawn through it. It's got a fingerprint icon, a running man, and a map. Yes. With a location pointer, location pin. And of those things, the map with the location pin is a pretty common icon. We've seen it pop up in iOS apps for years. The running man feels like a fairly normal icon. It's, it's, uh, it actually looks to me like the uh, run, the walk, don't walk sign in Paris. Right. It, it does uh, look like a traffic yeah. uh, pedestrian crossing sign. The Touch ID logo we tracked down to a um, clip art site kind of thing. Where did I find We're that? in a hurry thing? with this Samsung, do you think? How's that? Got a clip art company, uh, borrowed apples thing. It's, it's not like they may have taken a very long time to do these icons. Yeah, so this this icon for the, the thumb Touch ID version was uh, fingerprint SVG human from Clipart Wiki. All right. Yep. Love that. Okay. Yeah. What a great yeah. name, too. And uh, then the heart icon, fair enough. But this this facial recognition icon looks precisely like the one that's on your iPhone. And the face, especially with the J nose, look and, and the long marks for eyes, looks exactly like the face that was used on the original Mac in 1984. Yes. So there you go. They're from 84 to 2020, I don't, I don't think that's reasonable prior art at all. Um, Samsung's got a case here that Apple somehow copied them. That's what I'm thinking. So you're saying that Apple has a time machine? Well, you know, there are so many rumors. Uh, Apple doesn't, doesn't do. I, I wouldn't be surprised. A car, a time machine. It's um, That's probably what Johnny Ives is working on now. Yeah. So it'll be white. I would think so. Or space gray. And, and made out of aluminum. No. Uh, no, uh, aluminium, if you will. That's it. Sorry. My way is aluminium. <laughs> your way is aluminium. Okay. Ah, I love it. So, right. The, the point of icons is obviously to convey information quickly. Sure. And you you immediately look at that and you know what it's for. That's true. That's true. Although, so, the question is, do you look at that and know what it's for based on its prior implementation in iPhone because just looking at a, a face inside of a um, 
you know, four angle brackets doesn't necessarily yeah. communicate that well. No, uh, we've learned what it is through Apple. Um, yeah. So yeah, Samsung's just, uh, it's a, an acknowledgement of how well done Apple's work in this field. Look, icon design is hard and that's why Susan Kari drew these icons. You know, they, they hired her to draw these icons because icon design is hard. And they hired, and, and she was hired again by Microsoft when Microsoft did uh, Windows 3. 3.0, 3.1, She did all the icons for that as well. It, it is, there are reasons why people pay her to do this. And it's because she designs icons that communicate. And yeah. you only hope that, that Samsung is paying her too. <laughs> Although technically, yeah. I think Apple owns this property, and they'd have to pay her. Apple. Apple has registered the uh, as a, a trademark the drawing of this. So yeah, yes, yes. Even yep. now, Samsung lawyers might be going, "Oh, um, <sighs> cringe or not." Yes. Okay. So positive news for everyone, except maybe not Samsung lawyers. Yes. Positive news for Apple lawyers. Let's assume that. There we go. Yes, They'll yes. just let it go. Positive. I mean, it's way more positive than the experience Tim Cook had at the uh, Golden Globes. That is true. Yes. Okay. That's that a reference to, to your countryman, Ricky Gervais, and his opening speech where he talked about how uh, everyone was jumping on a streaming service and everyone was using Apple. And, of course, Apple is uh, – he, he, he had critical comments about Apple's production methods and, and called them sweatshops. Yeah, I mean, he made a good. I found actually weirdly written uh, diatribe because it, it kind of changed gears. It sounded like it was all about Apple, but actually, uh, it was how bad all the Hollywood stars are for working for companies that allegedly have these things. Uh, well, I remember watching what his, it, thinking, his, his initial hey? part of that was yeah. that Hollywood stars should not use their award speeches to make political positions in any case. He said that after the Apple sweatshop uh, allegation, but yes. But it so was a part the of end, that it segment. It was clear yeah. what it was about, but yeah. it was quite peculiarly written. But, you know, um, got some interesting reactions from Hollywood. But I think it was, I I think it was Jennifer Aniston who uh, accepted the award on behalf of, oh God, I'm blanking on. Um, well, it was not the morning show, unfortunately. But No, yes. no, but she accepted the award on behalf of... An Australian star whose name escapes me, and now I'm embarrassed um, because he's in Australia as as Australia's on fire. Oh, okay, good point. Um, yeah, you know, interesting. A lot of the streaming services didn't really have a good showing in terms of actual awards. There were some good nominations, but mm. in terms of receiving awards, Netflix, Amazon, and Apple didn't really receive so many, did they? The Congos was uh, screened in the States, weren't they? Uh, they weren't here, as far as I know. So I've only seen little bits of the coverage. Obviously, Ricky Gervais' thing went viral for it. But other than that, I wasn't terribly aware of what did or didn't win in the end. Um, but um, So not only Apple was shut out of the, of the game. Uh, it was Russell Crowe. It was so Russell nice. Crowe's speech about Australia that oh, Jennifer right. Aniston read. Yes. <sighs> Sorry. Okay. But yeah, so anyway, that's our show. I can't think of anything else I'd like to talk about except to, to wish you great vibes, what? positive feelings, and, and really optimism for the week ahead. You mean we've run out of happy things? No, I think there's no shortage, but I think we've run out of happy, interesting Apple-related things. Oh, fair enough. Okay, I'll take that. Good. Okay. 
We'll have more next week. Okay, promise. I I absolutely promise. I will find something positive and happy to say about Apple News next week. Until I do, where can we find you, William? I'm on Twitter as W Gallagher and email as William at AppleInsider.com. What about yourself? I'm V Marks on Twitter and Victor at AppleInsider.com. And thank you guys so much for listening. I have enjoyed our time together and I hope you have too. We'll be back next week. <laughs>